0: Hi, I'm Claudia Hooper, Production Assistant on Eavesdrop on Experts. You're listening to a special bonus episode of Eavesdrop. This time we're joined by two of the curators from the Germaine Greer Archive, who have their hands on 150 hours of audio material recorded by Greer herself. You'll get to hear Germaine Greer in Ethiopia and on the road in country Australia. I'll let Chris walk you through it.
1: Welcome to 5 Things About. I'm Chris Hatzis five things about is for you and your inner curious cat. The part of you that just loves to know what others know about inventions, ideas, people and places. You've heard the proverb, curiosity killed the cat. The rest of the proverb is, but satisfaction brought it back. So go on, knock yourself out and bring yourself back. In 2013, the University of Melbourne bought the Germain Greer Archive. In this podcast, we hear from Greer Archive curator Rachel Buchanan and archivist Kate Hodgetts about the archiving process and the delights in hearing over 150 hours of audio material recorded by Greer herself. Welcome to Five Things About, Jermaine Greer's audio recordings.
2: Greer Town, as I call the Jermaine Greer Archive, is an interesting postcode. Each Greer archivist has got to know a different version of Jermaine. One's met the letter writer, another's met the author. I met the student and the reporter. We all learned about Germaine via her words, but audio archivist Kate Hodgetts has got to know Germaine by her voice. Kate was hired to listen to Germaine. She was in her own little world, sealed off behind her headphones. We'd often hear Kate giggling at something or other. Kate even started to dream about Germaine. Today we're going to find out what it's like to have one of the greatest feminists of the 20th century in your ear. Okay, Kate, so I first met you when you started as the time coder on the Greer Archive. Can you tell me what you had to do?
0: With the Greer Archive, the University of Melbourne Archives acquired 150 hours of audio material that was on cassette tapes, digital audio tapes and mini discs. So I was employed to come in and create time coded summaries for each of those recordings. I had to listen to 150 hours and basically summarise every couple of minutes in a sentence or two. It actually took about six months to complete the job. I had to listen to the recordings, create the time-coded summaries, but then also do some access examinations and redact some information as well. Mm.
2: So tell me what it was like, that intimate experience of listening to Jermaine. What was life like inside that bubble between the headphones?
0: When I first started, my contract started a little bit later than everybody else's. So I was unaware of the discoveries that my colleagues had already made. I'd read the female eunuch and knew a little bit of Greer's public persona, but not much else. So I'd come in each day with a fresh mind, put my headphones on, and I'd be shut off from the outside world, including the conversations between my colleagues about the very person whose voice I was listening to. Most of the audio I listened to at the beginning were audio diaries, so the Greer I knew Walked her dogs, drove long distance, ate meat pies, and discussed the landscape, roadside vegetation, and her immediate surroundings. Nothing like a brisk walk on a cool grey felt morning like this
2: to fill one with longing for a cup of tea.
0: <laughs> so, the grid that I got to know was very different to that of my colleagues.
2: It really was. I mean, I was at the same time was getting to know the Jermaine Greer, who was a scholar, who was a journalist for the underground press, who then wrote the female eunuch and then Greer as the reporter. I often got to know someone who was really quite serious and focused on, you know, ambitious, focused on achievement. But I'd like to hear more about, I guess, that person, that private domestic person that you got to know.
0: Well, one thing that really stood out about Jermaine was how funny she is. She's very witty and very candid. It wasn't as if she was telling jokes. The way that she speaks is really funny. Like, for instance, she'd be talking about last night's chicken tasting like a wet plastic bag, or her idea that Canberra is not a village, but it's more a housing estate, or when she'd just have a cheeky siggy while she's driving cross-country in Australia.
2: One of the features is this: these audio diaries, and I'm interested to hear more about those because I think our experience as drivers in general is something we don't really talk about. But Jermaine had her audio recorder in the car almost as a companion she was driving on her own. So can you tell us something about the sorts of things she did to amuse herself as she was driving long distances in Australia?
0: Most of what she would be talking about while she was driving around Australia was really the roadside vegetation and the landscape. She would really paint the visuals, the colours of the sky, quite literally, like speaking of Rembrandt browns. Her description of the landscape and the sky were really quite beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's not as
2: vivid as it was the last year when I drove up and down here, but it's beautiful just the same. It's sort of dull and burnished and rich as can be, all covered with a sort of Rembrandt brown varnish.
0: But also she uh, played a game that she made up with herself called The Creek Game. While driving, she would mention the names of every single creek that she passed. At least one cassette is entirely basically The Creek Game, so that can get a little bit tedious, just hearing the names of creeks for an hour. Doctor's Creek. Oakey Creek. Gowrie Creek. West Creek. Murphy's Creek. Lockyer Creek. Sandy Creek.
2: It might be interesting for listeners to know that one of the reasons that Jermaine was driving around Australia looking so carefully is that she was recording these audio diaries as she was looking to buy some land. And she did eventually buy some land at Cave Creek, which is in southern Queensland, just sort of inland from the south coast. And I think there's recordings where she talks about being at Cave Creek and being in the forest. I mean, it's one of the things that's not widely known about Jermaine is her passion really for the environment, for eco-feminism, for the Australian landscape. Can you tell us something about the Cave Creek material?
0: Definitely within the audio diaries, it is very clear that Germaine Greer has a connection to the landscape, just the way that she paints uh, the images of the landscape and is so concerned about the degradation of the forest. With Cave Creek, my most favourite recording out of all of the recordings was something I listened to towards the end of my time coding position. And that was uh, Greer returning to Cave Creek from a drive from Melbourne up to Cave Creek, a long drive, and returning to a thunderstorm. And the recording is Greer sitting on her veranda observing this thunderstorm and really describing the sheets of lightning in the sky and the sounds of the crickets and the frogs and just how happy she is in that moment. She's so connected to what's happening around her and you can hear the rain on the rooftop, and she just cackles with laughter. I think it's the happiest that I've ever heard her, and that is my favourite
2: recording. Now, I suppose, you spoilt little machine, you want to hear what the storm really sounds like. Can you hear? (laughs) Now, it's not yet its full ferocity, but we are now underneath it, instead of being beside it. And I just think it's wonderful. This is the best welcome I could possibly have. Is this outrageous thunderstorm. That's a wonderful answer, Kate, and it really links in with my response to the audio that I've listened to and how these audio records really reveal Jermaine's skill at observing what's happening around her and her ability to immerse herself in each moment. I think the Ethiopia recordings that Jermaine made while she was there as a reporter for the Observer newspaper, in fact, in 1984 and 1985, while poor quality, are so transporting.
0: The Ethiopia recordings are a real intimate experience. She was sleeping in a mortuary, in Ethiopia during the famine in a resettlement camp. And so she's whispering into the handheld recording device and talking about her experiences there at the camp. They're really beautiful recordings and quite sad. She's discussing seeing a woman actually passing away and that moment between life and death when you can't actually tell whether the person is still living, whether they're breathing or if they've passed on. In the last stages of starvation, people lie still. And the cry the flies crawl over their faces unchecked. The shelter came too late for the children whose eyes have fallen out through vitamin A deficiency. And see their mothers carrying slung on their backs to and fro from the intensive feeding centers. They will be blind. Many more children will be blind for the same reason. Again, it was a different side of Germaine that you're used to from other research and other things that would be available in the archive.
2: I agree with that. And there's something about listening to the sound rather than the words. It's the sound that really takes you to that place. And I suppose it's a good time now to ask about Jermaine's various tussles with her recording devices. So one of the charming aspects of this series is the way it reveals Greer being all too human, struggling with machines. So can you tell me something about the records that demonstrate the difficulties?
0: Most of the recordings are recorded by Greer using a handheld dictaphone. In these recordings you are constantly reminded that she's walking along holding a dictaphone or in the car, sometimes driving, with it sitting on her lap. You can hear the recording stop and record and she plays back to listen areas and then comments on them, runs out of tape or records over an existing recording and there's also areas of tape that are sped up due to a malfunction of the recording device. (laughs) I Does this make it any different, I wonder? Um, that was apparently on double, but I don't know what it means.
2: Yes, the chipmunk effect is quite amusing, isn't it? So, Kate, I suppose one point I would like to make is that we've done all this work with this archive and and that we've brought our own personalities to our job. I know that in your other life, outside of work, you're an artist and Jermaine Greer has a strong interest in women's art. I'd like to hear something about how listening to all these records has influenced your own practice.
0: Listening to Jermaine speak Monday to Friday for several hours each day for six months, it's hard not to be influenced The recordings that were based around art definitely did inspire me. There's a Susan Hiller interview, um, Cornelia Parker interview and Rose Wiley interview where Jermaine actually purchases a painting. The one that really stuck out for me was the Susan Hiller, which took place in 2002. The two women primarily discuss gendered influence in art making and the theory that feminine art making is more open, ephemeral, more connected to the real world and that masculine art making is more monolithic and monumental and it has defined edges. This really kind of inspired me. They spoke about women trying to tuck themselves away into small corners and not be seen or not be heard and I was curated into an exhibition and I made a work specifically that related to this conversation. It was titled Take Little Space and it was created by folding up a piece of tracing paper into about the size of a five cent piece and carrying it around with me for a couple of months and opening it up every now and then and then folding it back up again. And then eventually I scanned the piece of tracing paper and monumentalized it by printing it quite large.
2: Women have been squeezing themselves into corners in art. Everybody that I know, including myself, has done tiny work, invisible work, subtle work. I used to take apart paintings. All of that is a a huge area that women artists have worked in. I love the title, Take Little Space, and it's a really beautiful work as well, Kate. But what I love most about it is that Greer herself has occupied confidently an enormous amount of space in this archival repository. It's rare to have a personal collection of papers that occupies quite this amount of space. It's only Malcolm Fraser that slightly outdoes Greer in the repository itself. So it's like her archive is a monument to her as a writer and an artist. And I know that One of the reasons it's great to have this conversation today is to capture some of the ambient knowledge that the Greer team has really gained about not just Jermaine Greer, but about ourselves and about what it's like to work as archivists and artists and writers with, with this extraordinary collection of records. I'd like to just address what you think researchers can learn by working with sound. We've touched on that, but what it is about sound and Jermaine Greer's voice and the voices of others and other sounds that are captured that make the audio series so compelling.
0: Listening to the audio series, you do get to experience the more human, candid side of Jermaine Greer which I think could be a useful experience to have before encountering other documents within the archive because it does set you up to realise that she is a person and she does have a normal everyday kind of life like everybody does. And you do also hear a difference in her voice between when she's doing having professional engagements uh, using proper English and then driving along using you know Aussie colloquialism and slang and stuff like that. it's it's yeah, there is definitely this switch as there would be with anybody, but yeah, it is interesting to see that side of her through the audio.
2: The Greer Archive is a restricted access collection. This means that researchers who want to use the archive need to meet the university archivist first and sign an access deed. Everyone who works with these records, including the audio, has to work with them in the supervised reading room at the Baylew Library. The collection is restricted because we've got an ethical obligation to protect third-party privacy, as well as ensuring that the records themselves, the paper records, are handled carefully. If you want to listen to the audio, you just need to search for records via the University of Melbourne Archive's website, just type two zero one four zero zero four zero into the search box. The audio records are MP3 files. They'll be copied to a USB and delivered to the reading room at the Baylew. We've set up a special computer there so you can listen quietly to the many voices of Jermaine Greer.
1: So that was five things about Jermaine Greer's audio recordings. Maybe a little more than five things, actually. This podcast was made possible by the University of Melbourne. This episode was recorded on the 21st of June 2017. Producers were Dr. Rachel Buchanan, curator of the Jermaine Greer Archive, and Kate Hodgetts. Editing by Kate Hodgetts and Gavin Neighbour. Audio engineering by Gavin Neighbour and production assistance from Claudia Hooper. The Five Things About Podcast is a University of Melbourne training program created by Dr. Andy Horvath. Still curious? Nip over to our other podcasts, Up Close and Eavesdrop on Experts, for more. I'm Chris Hanses. Join us again next time for another 5 Things About.
0: You've been listening to a bonus episode of Eavesdrop on Experts. Your regular Eavesdrop episodes will be back soon.